You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Transport yourself back in time and explore the fascinating and harrowing story of the Titanic's maiden voyage. Now open at COSI. Don't miss Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition. This epic exhibit features over 200 authentic artifacts recovered from the ocean floor. Discover poignant passenger and crew accounts and majestic recreated interiors, including the iconic Titanic Grand Staircase. Tickets for Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition are on sale now. Book your voyage at COSI.org. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder. Please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Please welcome Kelly Barrett and Jared Spector. Hey y'all, and welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, where we take you behind the scenes at Broadway Supper Club. I'm Kevin Ferguson. I'm an assistant programming director here at the club, and our guest today is the Broadway power couple Jared Spector and Kelly Barrett. Jared Spector was nominated for both Tony and Outer Critics Circle Awards for his performance as Barry Mann and Beautiful the Carol King musical. He made his Broadway debut as Gavroche in the original production of Les Mis. He also played Sonny in the Cher show and went on to playing a record-breaking 1,500 performances as Frankie Valli in Jersey Boys on Broadway. Also a Broadway veteran of 14 years, Kelly Barrett recently starred as Liza Minnelli in the award-winning FX series Bossy and Verdant, opposite Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams. Kelly originated the leading role of Lara in Broadway's Dr. Zhivago and Danny in Getting the Band Back Together. She played Nessa Rose in Wicked, and she has worked with just about every director and composer in countless pre-Broadway workshops and productions to develop other shows you know and love today. In addition to performing, Kelly is also a published writer, director, and coach. Everybody, please help me welcome the one and only Kelly Barrett and Jared Spector. Welcome. Hi, Kevin. How are you? (laughs) Oh, man. We're good. How are we? I mean, we're thrilled to be on here with you. Yeah, we're yes. at our last two days at our beach house, so you're joining us live with lots of wow. beach on the wall. We are at the beach right now. <laughs> I'm in Harlem, but y'all are in the beach. Okay? We're normally, normally in Harlem. We're normally yeah. in Harlem. Oh, neighbors. Look yeah, at that. Yeah, we'll be in Harlem tomorrow. Okay, <laughs> let's get coffee. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. That is so Living. exciting. Listen, we are so excited to have y'all back at Feinstein's 54 Below. It's been so long, and last year was a very long year for everybody. Is this the first time that both of you are getting back on stage since everything that happened last year or have you been able to perform before this moment we've had some performances we've been really lucky i mean one we did pre-vaccination in a very like there were maybe 10 people probably in the audience because they had to be so spread out mm-hmm. for a live stream at adelphi university and then we've since done a bunch of other live concerts 
with vaccinated crowds. And I think the first one back, we both cried pretty good. Oh yeah, we did a series of shows at Feinstein's at the Nico in San Francisco a few months back. And yeah, that was definitely an overwhelming to be in a room with, and they required vaccinations and the whole thing. So everyone was maskless and it felt like old times for an hour and a half, it was old times. Yeah. Wow, and now you're back here. Yes. Yeah. The other Feinsteins. Feinstein's oh, yeah. below. Do you want oh, to show yeah. Kings and Queens? That yes. I love that title. That is Thank big. You. <laughs> which kings and which queens? First of all, we are not the kings and queens. Oh, we yes. want to make sure everyone knows we're not crowning ourselves. We are no kings. <laughs> no, this is this the worship is, of yeah. the real kings this and queens. This is the worship of the actual yeah. Yeah. Yes, we are influenced by these kings and queens. That's right. Who are some of the kings and the queens being featured? So here's the thing. I'm going to give you lists and it's, but okay. some of them are, are like, some of them are obvious. Like you're not going to get away. Madonna is the queen of pop, right? Aretha yes. Franklin, queen of soul. There are some people who there's no controversy whatsoever. It's undisputed, but then it becomes like, who's the queen of country? Who mm -hmm. is the queen of disco? Who is the actual king of rock? There are some that are so, you know, there are multiple answers. Yes. And that's part of the fun of the show is even when we talk to people about it, People get very upset right away <laughs> if, they're, if they're like, no, it's Gloria Gaynor. And you're like, well, okay, but Donna Summer's also the queen. So then how do you have this? Right. You have to really talk it out. So there's a bit of a Game of Thrones aspect to the <laughs> night of music. In moments where there are multiples, we try to give you really cool mashups of all of the honorifics so that we're not just necessarily giving you our version. Other times it's our choice and right. we have a little fun with it that yeah. way. Yes, I love that question. I always ask my friend, who's your queen? Yeah. Who's your mm -hmm. king? Who's that person music-wise that you are just obsessed with? But there are people who really do have these titles that through their legacy, she is the queen of soul, he is the queen of rock, whoever that be, they have hits. And that's such a Absolutely. cool concept of a show. Did y'all come up with you. that together? Like, what was the light bulb that sparked that? Y'all were like, this is the show we're going to do. I think you came up with it in the car. We have our best ideas in the car. It's always um, on long drives. Yeah, so we <laughs> but we were thinking of something. What we really like to do with our shows is not only are we trying to sing music that we want to sing, but we're really trying to give audiences the stuff they want to hear. And in new ways, like we would never just replicate a song. I would never just do Aretha because I'm not Aretha. It'll, I'll never, you know, so we try to put our spin on it while still giving you that Aretha tune that you're dying to hear. So we were like, we think this will be the most fun show that we could give the audience. And in this time, we're like, people need joy. Let's go full joy. Yes. Yeah. And most of our shows have been very autobiographical. And we've done shows, all of our shows, 54 Below, like about our careers or about our lives or about our relationship getting together. And part of this was like, not necessarily getting away from that, but something that really is about the music and the singers and the composers. And personally, selfishly, I was like, well, how do I come up with a concept where I can sing a Prince song and a Queen song in the same show? So <laughs> this works pretty well for them. <laughs> and don't yes. worry, you'll still get childhood photos and oh, yeah, yeah, some yeah. really embarrassing yes. oh absolutely Aww. yeah sure yeah i love when artists invite us into their real lives and really can blend the story in while also telling a little bit about themselves i think it's awesome your whole life you're playing other characters it's rare that people actually just get to meet jared and kelly you know what i mean absolutely. And so i'm really excited to see that but let's get into these characters because y'all have played some iconic 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 characters first <laughs> kelly i gotta ask bossy verdon working opposite of Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, playing the legendary Liza Minnelli. What, how do you even prepare for a role like that? How was that experience? Throw up a couple times a day. I don't know, it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, honestly, I mean, when I got the breakdown for the job, I had the two thoughts, which is I'm born to do this and I'll never, ever be able to do this. You know, it's that duality that exists in all artists. She's just such an icon. But I think it, it gave me permission. I was like, I'm going to fail at this. There's no chance that I'm going to be able to pull this off in any, I'll never be Liza. And in that weird way, it allowed me to, as Liza says, throw it at the wall. And with this creative team who, you know, it's all the people buying Hamilton. It was Lin-Manuel and Tommy Kale was directing and Alex Lackmore was doing all the music. I was like, they're not going to let me sound stupid or look stupid. It's amazing to have a team you can trust that way. So I threw it at the wall and ultimately, and I don't say this much, I was able to watch myself on screen and feel excited and proud of it. And be a part of a project that I think is bringing musical theater to so many new kids, which is really yeah. fun. Yeah. And is lasting. Yeah. That yes. series is classic. That was an incredible I, yeah. I, so much insight. It was just, you were amazing. I just feel like, much. but that wasn't the height of your career. You've been on Broadway for so long. You've been in so many workshops, worked with almost every director and composer out there. Was there a moment that made you still love stage versus film or would you prefer one or the other how do you feel oh uh, i say theater is my first love and you can't walk away from it it's just the idea of going out there you get two maybe two and a half hours to tell the whole arc that's really special christopher walken said for television i believe or movies he was like the acting i do for free i get paid to wait so there's a lot of waiting, but when I was able to bring those two worlds together, because I do love television and film for other reasons, that really close, intimate camera work where you can see all of my secrets, I get off on that. I was like, okay, these two worlds are coming together in a really special way that isn't always done very well. And I thought they did it masterfully. So it was my little child heart of all my passions just exploding. One, but yeah. theater is my absolute first love. Don't tell anyone in television. <laughs> all right, it's our secret. <laughs> and Jared, speaking of stage iconic roles, we could start with Frankie Valley, but also there's Barry Mann and then there's Sonny. I just, how do you prepare yourself to play such iconic characters? Is there a, a routine you have when researching them or? It's all those things. I was trained at the Atlantic Theater Company. So when I first booked Frankie Valley, of course, it was all about, I'm going to approach this and it's going to be script analysis basics, just as though it was any other play, which definitely serves. And I don't ever stray from that, generally speaking. But then there's also grasping the reality that your audience is going to come in and they want to transplant onto you their memories of Frankie Valley or Sonny Bono, or if you're playing a real person, your job is to allow for two and a half hours of escapism back into the memories of those people. So yeah. finding the anchor points of what makes each of them identifiable and iconic, I think is the first key is like, you know, is the way in. So for Frankie, it's obviously his voice and his poker straight stature. And there's certain things about him. Kelly really helped me with Sonny. I got the voice just by mimicking it, but eventually she's like, it's, he leads with his groin. And I, and I mean, it really helps me to physicalize like, oh, right, this guy, he always sits back and his crotch is always forward. And like, that just changed everything. So if you find those couple, it just, it can't be an imitation because an imitation is just simply too superficial and you have to be able to still do the show and act the scenes with real intention and try to be organic and in the moment. So just finding the externals that you put on and then you can sort of forget about them so you can act the show. That's the key. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what I tried to do. Barry was a little, honestly, Barry was a little easier because 
of all three of them, I think Barry's a little closest to me. And also, you know, I, when I grew up, you know, if you grew up watching, I mean, I know Woody Allen is a little on the fence at this moment, but Paul Reiser, like Woody, you know, Barry Mann is basically Paul Reiser. It's mm -hmm. the same. So if you grew, if you watch Mad About You or Seinfeld, you basically got the, you know, the, the Barry Mann yeah. part of it. And he wasn't a stickler about me sounding like him as a singer. He was so generous and uh, he's just the nicest, nicest guy. Yeah. So yeah. That, one was, that one was a little less pressure. Aw, that's so exciting though, that you have to have that connection. I feel sometimes you don't always get to speak to the person who you're portraying or really pick their brain about certain things. So that's an awesome opportunity. Oh, yeah. It makes a world of difference when you can, because no matter who you're playing, right? I mean, playing Sonny is on some level playing the antagonist in that show, but playing Barry, if you can connect with the person and if you can get on stage every night and defend them in a true way that you really believe in where they're coming from and you're a hero, a champion for them, it definitely makes it more fun and makes it easier to get out there every night with enthusiasm. He was a gem. Wow, that is so awesome. I love what you said also about staying in the moment with all the performances. What I have here on my notes, it says something like you did over 1,500 performances as Frankie Valley. Yeah. yeah. That is yes. crazy. That is amazing. Yeah. And Thank I know you. we definitely remember you from that role, but I just, the, when you see the number, you're just like, wow, that is a lot of times. Yeah, it's a lot of time. <laughs> I did the show for six years, and I don't mean to undercut my own number, but some of the original cast members, like Sarah Schmidt, they were in it for the entire entirety of the run, Peter right. Gregg is the entirety of the run. So they did thousands and thousands of performances. But yeah, I mean, Frankie is a, that role is a beast. And mm -hmm. I definitely continue to draw some pride from having been able to stay in it for all those shows. But it's a different skill set in school. And these are for any actors out there who are listening. We train, you rehearsal, it's very exciting. You invent the show and then you like, do the performances. And if you ever do like school shows, you get to do like a weekend, or you get to do a week, or even if you do like summer, like a summer show with, you know, it's- Or any of my Broadway shows. Or any <laughs> Right. <laughs> no. right. But you get into a show and then you have to find ways to reinvent because, you know, you do the show for years and years on end and have to get out there every night because it's always some audience member's first show or birthday or anniversary or wedding present. And it's, you have to give them your hundred percent and anything mm -hmm. less than that isn't acceptable. So, you yeah. know, finding ways to fresh mint all the time is a, that's a whole, wholly different skill set. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that skill set is what comes in between the difference between stage performers and film performers. Like you said, Kelly, you did Wicked and getting the band back together and countless workshops and production. So how do you stay in the moment? Do you specifically think of anything when you're telling the story over and over and over again, you finding new moments or what's your process? Oh, gosh, yeah, I am Meisner trained, which I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of misconception about what that actually means. Like, what is method acting? A lot mm -hmm. of people like to make fun of it and stuff. But I do actually really believe in emotional preparation, imaginary circumstance, depending on what's happening with my character. I definitely go there and try to live in that space for the duration of the show. I certainly don't bring it home. I try not to, depending on what it is. But it's the stamina, right? For an eight show yes. week, it's like, I remember there was a scene in Royal Family where I had to come down the stairs just sobbing and mascara all over my face. And I was like, I will do this authentically because <laughs> I was 23 or something. And it was like, I will cry myself to sobbing tears every day. And I did for a while. That was a three hour play with two intermissions. So it was, it was kind of hard to stay. <laughs> Plus it was a comedy. So what was I doing, to be honest? But it is the stamina. So it's just finding your ways in those touchstones. For me, I always have something physical I can go to. Like I try to think of what the character would physically surround themselves with, whether it's 
you know, whatever the truth is from my life, if it's a picture of my grandmother that helps me relate to a scene or a touchstone for that character's want or something like that. But I do try to build my little world in my dressing room. I definitely go to my meditation places and that imaginary circumstance and all of that. But I mean, that's the wonder of being an actor, right? Imagination. I get to go back to being a child and fully immerse myself. It's exhausting and exhilarating. And, it's <laughs> and I'm going to brag about Kelly for a second because, you know, we are in 2021. She's on my payroll. And it's <laughs> constantly putting ourselves on tape. Now that's the thing, right? You get an audition. And so we're constantly filming one another. And Kelly's ability to imagine her circumstances and to imagine her environment is fascinating, especially on film because you can, I mean, we're in our living room or we're in our guest room or whatever. And I know what's behind me. It's a desk and a lamp and a whatever. But if you watch Kelly on the screen, you would think she's at a in a ballroom or in a forest mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Like you can see it in her eyes and all the people that she's talking to. And it's so specific. So finding, again, it's being able to access your imagination helps in both processes, right? Like the in the moment, the one time you have to do it and long-term in the show over mm-hmm. and over again, you have to do either one. It's a huge contributor to success. Yes, and I know, yeah, that was so sweet. Y'all are in love. I love yeah. it. <laughs> so maybe exciting. make this thing official. We should, yeah, we should make this official. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, what did bring y'all together? Was it a theater production, or did y'all just bump shoulders on the sidewalk, or...? No, we were in a show. We were workshopping a show uh, at the time. Lee Silverman was directing. Jen Colella was mm, playing your, my daughter. Your daughter, but in, in like the in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was playing his wife, and it was all about Burt Burns and the songwriter uh, he wrote. Uh, yeah, Twist and Shout, Hang on, Sloopy, Piece of My Heart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and we did that together for years and became very best friends. We were Aww. best friends before we even started dating. I was dating someone. He was dating someone. We were just friends, you know, but we'd play yeah. words with friends online all the time, or we'd <laughs> call each other and watch DVR episodes of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And we'd like try to hit play. And, you know, like we were just, we were really connected. We'd share what was going on in our lives. And it just sort of, one day he goes, you know, you're the Sally to my Harry, right? <gasps> and that was it. I, it was just like light bulb, boom, Mac mm-hmm. truck, oh God. Why? Why? Yes. Yes. Why now? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But we, yeah, we were friends for like a year and a half before we got together. Aww. But um, he would die in my arms every day on stage. Right. So how are show. you not going to get connected to doing that? Do you know that? what I'm saying? And then Jen Colella, <laughs> who is one of our very best friends, she was the MC at our wedding. She really was the mastermind. I mm. mean, she's nudging him. Look at what she's wearing today. I heard all these stories later. Oh, yeah. She definitely nudging me. Oh, Jared's voice. I mean, my God. And he's, you know, and so she's just pushing us together to get yes. together. So she yes. really... She takes a lot of credit. The matchmaker. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. That is a beautiful story. Wow. I just think together, you guys are such a force. You both bring such an amazing talent of your own to the stage together. I can only imagine how fierce your show at 54 Below is going to be, but we're not done talking about it. I wanted to know, (laughs) I wanted to know, is it going to feature anybody else? Is it going to be a full band? Are there going to be any guest surprises? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Oh, no, all the things. Wait, okay, so let me start with the band. So, yeah, I mean, we always, it's one of the blessings of living in New York City, just access to the greatest musicians in the world. So our band is all like Broadway veteran incredible like our saxophonist was supposed to be touring with the eagles but instead he's gonna come you know what wow. i mean it's like it's all kind of things yeah, so yeah our band yes yeah, so we have a five-piece piano bass drums guitar and um and sax 
and sax. And then we're incorporating some new sounds that we haven't done before because it's tricky to replicate, like, let's say, Madonna or mm. um, not giving anything away here, like Britney Spears or <laughs> without those synth sounds. So mm -hmm. we're definitely incorporating a little more multimedia than we have before in terms of like some pre-recorded tracks and sounds and things and, uh, and some like some vocal technology gadgets that we've done before. So as Kelly's been saying, it's, it, I think it's musically, it's our most ambitious show. Yeah, we're trying we've to drop done. you into that 80s. Like we want yes. you back at your prom, you know, yes. if you're younger, but we want yeah. you just what, we, want you <laughs> we want you to be like, oh, I'm listening to the record. Yes. So we're really excited to incorporate some of that. And then for special guests, I wanted to say this earlier, but I think one of the masters of our time at figuring out how to do the most authentic mimic, but still be entirely herself as Jesse Mueller mm. and what she did with Carol King. Picking up something going on. Oh, picking up yeah. something, I'm okay. <laughs> she is obviously one of the greatest actresses of our generation, won the Tony for Carol, but she's also a dear friend and an incredible woman and a beautiful heart. And so she is going to come on Wednesday the 13th and give right. a special performance. Yeah, and Carol was born... Carol Klein and crowned herself king. Let's yes. all remember that. Any fans of Beautiful will know. You're right. That this is a person who chose to coronate to herself. Which is okay. like, it's right. It's pretty ambitious. She was 16 when she made that wow. decision. And now she is Rolling Stones, what, like number seven songwriter of all time or whatever. I think I named myself Destiny Star when I was 16. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's, Something yes. like that. You mm -hmm. know, that would be ambitious. my stage name. It'd be a great drag name, honestly. Yes. Um, <laughs> right? Um, and then on the 14th, speaking of incredible women that are not only talent powerhouses, but beautiful on the inside. Erica Henningsen, the star uh -huh. of Mean Girls, mm -hmm. who is a dear friend and mensch, is going to sing with us on the 14th. Wow. Yeah. I just feel the friends y'all have probably made working in this industry, the list goes on and on and on and on. But being in this industry, as long as you have, and your career being as extensive as it has, do you feel a difference in the culture of Broadway when you first started? And I know, Jared, you came in the game a, a nice little youngin on the late mid. Oh, yeah, I was nine. Yeah. Okay, you can but, take a lot more to the... <laughs> yeah, but do you feel any culture differences on Broadway or anything? Certainly. I mean, there's a lot going on that, that's happening now and a lot more work we need to do if we're talking about equitable reckoning in this business and everybody seeing it and the work's finally starting to happen in a real way, which is exciting to witness and to be actively a part of, but we have a lot further to go in that regard. And then I'll just, for myself, I grew up being taught, you are the ingenue and you have to learn Camelot and Oklahoma. And these are still shows that are in, of course, they're around and in, but as you saw with Oklahoma, right? Completely different. Yeah. Not what we're used to seeing. So people are taking chances, the old stuff's getting redone. And then you've got this new progressive work with these young voices like Slave Play who are not afraid to go there mm -hmm. and give you that experience while also holding up a mirror. I mean, the mirror for our generation was Cabaret. Literally, they put mirrors up at the end and they were like, this is you. And now <laughs> right. Slave Play did it again, right? Yeah. There were actual mirrors in that You're show right. and, and we're looking at a different side of ourselves. So I'm excited about what's happening on Broadway. I mean, listen, it's still a commercial enterprise. There's still going to be these shows that are there to make money. And like when you did them in the workshop, they were one way. And then when they finally got everybody's input, they turned into something else. And it's sad to watch. Like, we're no fools. Off-Broadway is probably still where the most testing is going to be done and probably right. the best stuff. Mm -hmm. But every now and then you get that breakthrough and like Strange Loop is coming in, right? And that yeah. show, whoop, 
everybody. I think that's <laughs> the best thing I've seen that I can remember. Yeah. You know, so yes. I'm excited about where it's going and hopeful, but there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to just repeat. So, I, I, but I was going <laughs> to the change and the incorporation of multiple styles too is exciting on Broadway. When I grew up, it was Les Mis and Phantom and Cats. And suddenly there was, I mean, I know there was also JC Superstar, but then suddenly there was Rent, which is like this new, and obviously, I mean, you know, I don't have to say Hamilton. Like there are just so many awesome, varied styles of music and not just inside of, of course, you know, like the, I, don't, I, I, I think jukebox musical is sort of a misnomer because sometimes it's jukebox and sometimes it's biomusical, but yes, incorporating rock and pop in their original form, but using those styles to make entirely new shows like Dear Evan Hansen is so pop forward. Stylistically, Broadway is at least a little more progressive and I'm sure being influenced by the grassroots of off-Broadway and regional houses, that's really exciting, especially for someone who, you know, like me, I mean, I would prefer to sing those styles because that's how I grew up. And my, my, I grew up on Motown and Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. And that's those, you know, so singing that kind of music is, is easier and feels more organic and authentic to the way I sing, but also my entire generation. And I think the generation below us. So the more that those are incorporated, there's that sort of cultural progression on Broadway as well, which is exciting and yeah. continues to grow. Yeah, I'm feeling it too. I'm fresh to the city a little bit, but I feel even between my few years that I've been here, there's already a lot different and a lot more culture and just like a shift definitely happening. So fingers crossed that we're moving in a strong direction. I love yeah. that you said your inspirations were like Motown and all those voices. Kelly, do you have any singer influences or sounds that you admire? For sure. Oh, yeah. I grew up, well, it's so funny, right? So, so partly I'm from the South, so I grew up with like Patsy Cline and some of these mm. country singers, but also like I've gone in such a deep dive in my youth with Mahalia Jackson and some of the gospel singers, mm. and I was a high soprano then, so she was influencing me in ways that I am only starting to understand now. And then obviously Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, the big pop vocals of my generation that were the queens then, mm -hmm. we were all trying to sound like them. I was doing There's a Hero and I Want to Dance in my living room <laughs> for my family. I was too. Um, <laughs> I was also Jared. a hero. Well, Jared, I think you sang Hero at your bar mitzvah. I did. I think I sang Hero at oh, many, yes. many a bar mitzvah in my day. Yeah. Well, wow. That. that would be amazing. I would love well, I'm gonna to have see to dig that, that up. <laughs> and then, of course, I had Judy Garland and Liza on the Broadway mm -hmm. side. So yeah, lots of different influences and Motown too. I mean, yeah. I love Motown. It was such a huge Aretha, Diana, like just such a huge part of the influence of just what's going into my ear all the time, what I wanted yeah. to listen to. Yeah, and everything's full circle here. As you can imagine, when it comes to the queen of country, Kelly has an opinion. So oh. might, some people might hear queen of country be like, oh, Dolly Parton, obviously. Right. But well, Kelly, had, but, but Kelly feels it's Patsy Cline and that's right. going to be something right. that we're going to address in the show. Then when it's like, you and know. Otis Redding is my other favorite Otis of all time. Yeah. So, and yeah. thankfully, also not undisputed, undisputed the, king the, of soul. the king of soul <laughs> is Otis Redding. And there's not all, I mean, there's Sam Cooke's amazing, but I think classically <laughs> speaking. Otis Redding yeah. is the queen. And then, then when it, King of Queen of Motown, Diana Ross, Smokey Robinson. So what's fun, and as we were putting the show together, is realizing, of, I mean, obviously, in retrospect, like, well, of course, we love all these people, but how personal they are musically to us. Mm -hmm. These huge, iconic stars are a, a huge part of the way that we learned how to sing growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get to bring that into the show as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Okay, and also going back, you were talking about biomusicals slash Jukebox musicals, do you feel a way about the criticism that sometimes jukebox musicals 
get or do you rather them call bio musicals? Because there are some jukes that aren't bio and you know what I mean? Like, how do you feel about that whole culture? Yeah, I may I? Please, for a yeah. yeah, I think a couple of things. I think that there is definitely a difference between a bio musical and a jukebox musical. I don't think that Beautiful is a jukebox musical. It's a bio musical. There's no sung dialogue, right? All of those songs are sung in context, either in a recording session, like a replicated recording session or a replicated performance. And so it's a show about these lives. Whereas Mm -hmm. something like Jagged Little Pill is a jukebox musical because they're using the songs as sung dialogue or to progress to move the story along in their own way. And that's, it's not better or worse. They're just different. And I think it's important that we sort of acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they do get undue criticism. I think that there are plenty of straight musicals that are original music that aren't good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, this is not me bashing Broadway or right. bashing the genre. I love movies and there are bad movies, right? So like <laughs> there is good and bad and high quality and low brow in every medium and every genre. Mm-hmm. So to sort of across the board be like, well, jukebox musicals are bad or bio musicals are bad or they're bad for Broadway is frankly idiotic because it's not true. And I know I'm a little bit biased, but Jersey Boys is one of the best books of a musical in terms of the way that like it moves the story along. It is crisp, it's smart, it's just so well done. So to just write off an entire genre when you here's a you know, here's a golden example of yeah. something that was Rick done Ellis so so yeah. Rick and Marshall I mean done so well, here's the exception that proves that you're wrong. So you can't write them off entirely. And and then I think that, you know, part of the criticism comes from this culture of critics. And I I don't want to dig myself a hole here, but like, if you don't like a particular singer, don't review that show. I mean, you're going to come in with your own biases. That's the thing about jukebox musicals that it lends itself to. If you like that person coming in, you're going to tend to like the music, as opposed to if you just come into a musical that you've never heard of or you've never seen anything, right? You're going to be fairly open Mm -hmm. to whatever that thing is. But if you hate ABBA, you're not going to like Mamma Mia, right? I mean, it's just, like, it's just the way that it is. That's not me. I think all that stuff. So, right. But I'm just saying if, you know, if you're one of those people, you come in with your own biases, which I guess is good and bad because every ABBA fan is going to want to see that. Mm-hmm. So commercially, it's like a separate thing. But I just think that I don't mean to, <laughs> to harp on it. but No, please do. It, it can be done really well and it can be done poorly. And it, it's not to do with the genre in principle. It's to do with the quality of the work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I love that you said that because too often I feel the jukebox music are counted out or they're on the back burner of shows you want to go catch because you already know the music. And it's like, no, maybe you don't know this beautiful story of the Jersey Boys, or maybe you don't know Carol King's actual story, you know? And these stories are so big and so much spectacle. They deserve to be on a Broadway stage. You know what I mean? The glitz and glam of Cher, that should be a musical. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, we all agree. We all, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I think it's the overall other pandemic of just judging what people yeah. like, what people want, what people want to pay money for. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different. Some people might have never thought to even come to Broadway if it weren't for Jersey Boys or Cher even. Mm-hmm. And then they came and they were like, this is magic. I'm going to go see another one. And exactly. hey, that's how we get our livelihood paid for. Okay. So why would we ever bite the hand that feeds us? Mm-hmm. Lots of people like different things and we got to get over it. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of entertainment out there. There's something for everyone. So. No, that's, I mean, that's exactly the point. Maybe you grew up loving Motown, so you're going to see Ain't Too Proud. And then because you saw that, you're like, oh, this live theater thing is really cool. I'll go see Dear Evan or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Or maybe you won't make as big a shift, but over time, now Mm -hmm. you're right into 
musicals you didn't know the songs right. to before you went. You and you'll know? find an appreciation for the entire medium. Yeah. And not for nothing, but my version of pre-gaming in college was listening to the cast album before we went to see the show. Mm-hmm. That's not any different than people from the Midwest listening to Motown before they go and see Ain't Too Proud. Absolutely. Right? Those albums dropped early or very mm-hmm. quickly after the shows came out so that they could get an audience that would then want to come. It's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're trying to build people wanting to see what they know, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel so connected to listening to y'all. You're so knowledgeable of so much and you have such great opinions. You're so kind. (laughs) How do you feel about masterclasses, like teaching them or is that something I feel like y'all would be great? Oh, thanks. We actually do them. Yeah. We do them. I love them. How do you choose what topic you're going to, because it's usually a younger generation or no? That you're talking yeah. About. Oh, yeah. It's usually schools and stuff, master mm-hmm. classes, and sometimes we hold them for people in the city or whatever. But I love doing. I love to teach. I'm a life coach for artists, empowered artist coaching. Check it out online. I love to teach. I love to empower people. I am always trying to push people toward their light. Mm-hmm. I think one of the downfalls of these conservatories is they breed a lot of competition and a lot of early judgment. And you're in some formative years with your own creative process. And to get some of that information too soon stays with you forever and dictates the way that you function in your career and life. Because a professor once told me that's not my type or I don't look good in blue or I shouldn't sing that kind of music or whatever it was. And so one of the things I love to do when I go into these schools is find what's working and push those students toward their light and empower them because you're going to fail a million times and school's supposed to be the safe place to do it. So keep trying, keep failing until you fly. And that's our responsibility as older people, older, I guess we're getting old. I know suddenly I'm the older person when I walk into a rehearsal room. I I was so used to being the young one. Oh, look at this kid. And now I'm like the the, the father of the group. But anyway, that's our responsibility is to help kids feel empowered and to keep this medium going because it is vital and important. Mm. And life-changing, the musical theater kids around this country are being saved by this medium. Yes, yes. They are still the outcasts of their generations who come together to find community and tell stories and Mm -hmm. sing with abandon. And they are our people and they are our children too. And we have to take care of them. Yeah. Stop cutting them down and pitting them against each other to who can sing higher belt higher. I mean, this is ridiculous what we're doing. The competition for this younger generation is off the charts. And they have more talent than I've ever seen, but at what cost? Yeah. Would you say that's also a little bit of a culture shift as well? I think so. Oh, yeah. The, the American Idol effect. Yes. Yeah. And everybody yes. can have a YouTube channel and is expected to, is expected to. Yeah. Yeah. Social media is really, I mean, we took the science of well-being course in Yale and we won't get into it, but social media is where comparisons and rejection and depression are bred. And when you start mashing that against art, it's really detrimental to these young people's growth and understanding of why they're doing it at all. Just lose sight of the point. Yeah. So when it comes to masterclasses and things, we love to do that and also, and to find, I'll speak for myself because Kelly has a wide array of the things that she knows how to teach, but it's like, what can we help? Right. What are we qualified or you know specialized in? And, and I think that dealing with the business of it, dealing with the other side of it, I mean, there, I am not the most qualified person to teach how to act a song or though I do like it. Thank you. But I I think, you know, (laughs) Kelly's better at doing it. She's better at teaching it. I mean, I think that, you know, in terms of music, I'm always like, well, I would love to do pop and rock with kids because I think that prepping pop and rock auditions is tricky and difficult. And it's like the thing that I think in that musical world that I'm best at, but what I'm talking, speaking to is exactly what Kelly was just saying, which is helping people deal with the 
business of the business and like the social ramifications, the emotional ramifications of being in the business, because that is something that conservatories do not teach. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or they certainly don't teach enough because you don't spend enough time. I mean, if you're going to learn your craft, there are only so many hours in a day and then you graduate from school and then you go and start auditioning or you find a side hustle so that you can pay your rent. And now you're suddenly living your life on your own in New York or Los Angeles. Yeah. And it is really, really hard. And mm -hmm. there is no preparation for that. There's not enough, like there aren't enough therapists in the world to prepare <laughs> everyone for how difficult that is. So the more that we can right. impart some life survival skills, the more we feel like we're using what we've learned to, to contribute to the next generation. Right, because it's entirely antithetical to the point of why you became an artist to try to monetize it, right? Yeah. And make it a business. Yeah. It's yeah. the opposite of why you got into it. And then all of a sudden you're expected to know how and for that to be the end goal. So the fact that these conservatories don't have in-house mental therapy, stamina, life coaching courses is crazy to me. It should be mm -hmm. all of that all day. And then you have like a voice lesson at six. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that should be what it is. How to prepare yes. your heart and soul for this. And then maybe you'll be ready to move to New York. Yeah. And then maybe, maybe. And then yeah. maybe it's right. And then you know what? Also, maybe it's not. And that doesn't it's okay to go mm -hmm. anywhere else and do art. Every anywhere. city needs it. Yep. This whole New Yorker bust thing, it messes people up. And so then they leave and they go become another thing that has nothing to do with being an artist that mm -hmm. is not as fulfilling for them. Mm -hmm. Because if I can't do it there, I'm not doing it at all. And that's crazy. Yeah. That's why you can't see a decent show in some of these other cities <laughs> because none of those actors decided to take root and do it there and give yeah. it back to their community. So We're all it's still just living kind of in the New York, New York song. If I can make it there, I I can make it anywhere, but that's a ridiculous goal. That's a crazy notion. Well, and that's true. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, but you don't have but to you don't only have to make, make it, it there. there. Right, right, right. We're not hearing the lyrics. Is yeah, the problem. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so true. Started, no, honestly, it is just hearing y'all talking about what needs to be seen on Broadway and what things work and what doesn't. It sounds like you're coming from like a producer mindset. If you were giant commercial producers, what revival would you choose to bring back? Or is there a show that you think should come back? Or is there a story that you feel needs to be told on the stage? Oh, gosh. Yes, there's so many stories. I mean, stories. there are many stories that need to be told. Okay, so... Seneca Village Musical. <laughs> Seneca Village Musical. Love that I idea. I mean, if we're going to talk about, like, let's do it. Let's get in there with yeah. that musical. Let's talk about that community of people that was completely wiped out to build Central Park. Like, why not? There's a lot of stories that need to be told, to be honest. A revival show we love right. is Parade. Now, again, okay. Parade wasn't financially viable in its time. Would mm -hmm. it be now? Not sure. Mm -hmm. But Jared is Jewish, and that story speaks specifically to that part of him. Mm -hmm. The side of, like mob mentality yep. cancel culture intolerance intolerance mm. is scapegoating scapegoating yes. is very still much happening all the time and so i think it would be an interesting moment on the stage and i just north it's my south, favorite north south red blue divide there are right. so many themes in that show that are extraordinarily relevant right this second yeah. Yeah. and that's my favorite album now i'm obsessed with that show it's my favorite show album yeah Jared and Kelly, I will say y'all have taste. Y'all have taste. Okay. So do you, I, I saw like that nail polish glitter. Oh, I know. Okay. I love it. I was going to say something good. earlier, but you were talking and I interrupted. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, you are a Broadway couple. Is there a show that y'all want to be in together? 
Like, is there a musical that y'all have always mm-hmm. dreamed to play opposite of? We could do Parade. That one. Okay. <laughs> that that like, one. That one. Yes. Great. I've also, I've always wanted to do the last five years, but oh. I know I'm getting a little, you know, he does have a lyric. You're in your about last five years. I'm, I'm, I'm to my do last it. five years to do the last five years. Yeah, but yeah. That, I guess it's a Jason Robert Brown obsession here. No, Parade, though, <laughs> is something we've always talked about. And any Sondheim show. I'll be fifth from the back. I'm going to be on the ensemble of vocals in. Yes. Sweeney and Into the Woods. Yes. Give me merrily we roll along, please. Yes. Wow. Yeah, those are good shows. That would be really fun. Listen, it has been so fun talking to y'all, but we have to bring it back to what we're here for. Your show at 54 Below, okay? Yes. uh, October 13th and 14th. Y'all are not going to want to miss this. It's from Aretha to Britney to Elvis to Prince. How do you want to miss this show? You got to grab your tickets now. Kelly, Jared, do you want to say anything else to the people about the show? When you hear Elvis, there's a really interesting take on that, right? Because, well, and we've been talking a lot in this interview about reckoning and what's appropriate. And we're going to deal with that, too, because was Elvis the king? Ooh. Okay. Or if other people had been white in 1956, would we have a different king? So we're going to talk about these things. We're not straying away from some of those things. Yep. But with that, the show has a lot of heart and a lot of investigation of thoughts, but it's really, really fun. And yeah, so we want you to know that. The fun is the key. I mean, we've been stuck at home as well. And we haven't been on a Broadway stage, as nobody has been. And we haven't been back at, at 54 Below, which is our favorite spot to sing. And we just wanted to create a night of really fun music. But again... So I was going, you can't do the King of Rock without talking about Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Elvis Presley. It is a question. Mm-hmm. And you can't just sing the King of Pop anymore without talking about the issues that are there. So like, as much as we want to just bang through this music, and we will, I promise we will deliver fun music all night long. That is the goal. But there's also dealing with the reality of here's where we are right now in 2021 and looking back on this with some truth. So it's a little of everything. But again, primarily just a good time and if you can't make it please live stream our performance yes yeah Yeah, we just announced that come on you guys this is gonna be so exciting grab your tickets grab your live stream ticket grab your in-person ticket don't miss kelly and jared it's october 13th and 14th at seven o'clock find signs 54 below kelly jared thank you so much this has been a pleasure kevin you're a dream dream. oh my god y'all are in love <laughs> we wear the same clothes. Yeah, yes. ten years okay. in, it's twins. <laughs> but thank you, Kevin. You are. Thank True. you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Fine Science Fifty Four Below podcast. Again, my name is Kevin Ferguson. You can follow me on all social media at, at Kevin Ferg, and I will talk to y'all next time. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.